The reading today is from Luke chapter 15, which can be found on page 1048 in the Church Bible. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven than over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Thanks, Darren. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much uh, that you bring light uh, to dark eyes. Thank you for the light that you brought uh, to half of the group that was there. Please uh, leave us uh, with that light, we pray, that we would see you, uh, we would see your word clearly, and we would know how to live. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Now, if you're JF age or fusion age, you should have a sheet like this, uh, but there is no hiding behind the sheet because I have some questions for you. And if you don't answer, I'll ask the adults. Um, first one, we'll go with an easy one. What's this? I'm looking for a hand at this point. At the back, Gabe, what's this? A mirror. A mirror. Now, what are mirrors really good at doing? Well, well done, Dave. <laughs> there is a man that has seen a mirror today. Look at him. Mirrors are really good. They're a friend to us, mirrors. Especially if we're about to leave the house with jam all over our face. Aren't they a great friend? Or maybe there's a hair that's out of place. Or maybe, as happened to me the other day, your shaver breaks halfway through the shave. And I forgot that I had only shaved part of my face and went through the rest of the day. I needed the friend, the mirror. Now, when Jesus tells stories, boys and girls and everyone else, when Jesus tells stories called parables, they act like a mirror. And mirrors are friends to us if we look in the mirror, if we take note and then pay careful attention. But what's a parable? Well, a parable is a short story like the two that Darren just read so well. It's a short story with an important meaning. And what Jesus does is he uses stories like mirrors 
to show you, to show me our heart, what's inside of us, what we live for, uh, so that then we can take action to change. So, three questions that these two stories make us ask. Firstly, this story makes us ask, which side are you on? So look again at Luke chapter 15. Which side are you on? And we're going to particularly look at the first two verses here. Now Jesus tells one parable in four parts. Look at that just in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. This parable doesn't mean just the first one, the one of the lost sheep. Actually, it's talking about all four of the parables, or or rather the three parables in four parts. We're going to look at two today, and then next week we've got the fusion service. The week after that, we're going to look at the final story, the story of the lost sons. So it's a story in, in, it's one parable in four parts. So we have the story about a lost sheep, we have the story about a lost coin, and then a longer story about two lost sons. And the four stories, I don't don't know if you've noticed, have the same pattern. Something or someone is lost, something or someone is found, and a party is thrown. And Jesus is using these stories as one story, like a mirror to expose the heart of the crowd, or or rather expose our heart as well, which is where we'll now turn to look at the crowd. Look at verses 1 and 2. So in the crowd there, look at verse 1. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So we've got these tax collectors and sinners listening in. And then we've got these Pharisees and teachers of the law listening in. Now, we started this series in church back in chapter 13. And Jesus has been addressing three groups. There's the wider crowd. There's the closer unit of his disciples. And then there's the Pharisees. And Jesus has been teaching some pretty hard things. Aimed at the crowd. Look back at Luke 14, verse 27. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. That's a hard thing. He's telling them they must count the cost before following Jesus. Look at verse 33. Just as hard. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. It's a hard teaching. Now, many listen, but few follow. And Jesus ends in verse 34 with this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Then we turn to chapter 15, and we see who's left. Remember, you've got that crowd. You've got the Pharisees. You've got the disciples, those three groups. But which of those groups is still left? Well, those three groups have kind of fallen into two. Look at it there in in 15 verses 1 and 2. 
the tax collectors and the sinners. Well, well, they're gathering around. They've heard the hard teaching, but they're still hanging around. They're, they're urgent to hear Jesus. The hard teaching's not put them off. They seem interested. They seem hungry to hear more. Is that you? Does that describe you? Even in light of the hard teaching of last week, you're still back this week. That's great. Thank you. But does it describe you, whatever Jesus says, hard or easy? Are you still hanging in there on on every word? You see, the thing we find hard is that these are the obviously wrong people in society. They're the outcast. They're the bottom of the list for invitations to the dinner parties. They're the bad kids in the classroom. They crowd round and they want to hear more. But there's another group. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law are there. They see the keenness of the outcast listening and they mutter. It's a wonderful word, mutter, isn't it? Do they call it onomatopoeic? Is that the right? Yeah, I'm looking for the English graduates out there. Michael is nodding. Onomatopoeic. It it sounds like what it's describing. Mutter, 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 mutter. Now, we're not told if they said it under their breath or, or out loud, but you can just imagine them speaking. Perhaps it started with a tut. I love the tut. It's a wonderful thing to throw in there now and again. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, what are they saying? They're saying, we're not like them. They're sinners. I'm not. Look at all the problems they've got. Not like me. Oh, how wonderful I am. Look at Jesus. Look how he welcomes those people. And we have to ask, which group would we be in? If there were two sides of the road, which side of the road would we be standing on? Are we more like the tax collectors and sinners, aware of our sin and urgent to hear the Lord Jesus? Or are we more like the Pharisees and tax collectors who put a limit on God's grace and suggest these people are not worthy to be near Jesus? Now, it can seem a really simple question, can't it? And many of you know the right answer. But it's really, really important. And I just want to push you a little bit more on this because it's really important for how we make friends. It's really important for what we celebrate. It's really important for what we give our time to. And I hope you see as we get into these stories that Jesus uses these stories to diagnose our heart and to show the great love of the Father. These stories show why Jesus came on a rescue mission, and they hold up a mirror to our hearts as they reveal the the value the Father places on the lost, as they reveal the joy the Father has at, at rescuing the lost. So they hold up the mirror to our different values and our lack of joy. And I've got to say, as that mirror has been held up, 
as I've prepared this. I found it pretty uncomfortable. And where are you? The crowds come down just to two groups. Those who hear because they know they have a big sin problem. And the Pharisees who think they're free from sin and think Jesus is the problem. Both are listening with a different agenda. And the next question is asked through these two stories. And it's a surprising one. And it's this. What do you value? We had a long drive on holiday. Sorry about all the holiday illustrations you're going to get in today's service. Uh, We left after church on a Sunday. We arrived sort of early evening Monday in France. We pitched the tent, a little bleary-eyed, I must say. And then I went back to the car to get something, only to discover it was locked. See, I could see the key in the ignition. And it was locked. We've got this automatic locking thing that apparently is for our own security. And great inconvenience. Not a problem, I thought, because we've bought a spare. Not just one spare, because that would be naive. No, we've brought two spares. And I stored them somewhere safely. One's in the glove box, and the other's in the door. Ah! So I urgently walked in the heat up to reception. Bonjour, madame. And then ran out of French. (laughs) I have losty my key, dons le car. Le car a locked Please, would you help me? So about 10 minutes later, one of the the people from the campsite came with a bit of wire and a lot of hope. And he stuck the wire into our door, tried to get the key. After about half an hour of me urging, clapping, enjoying, the hope drained away. And then the chap said, in sort of pidgin French, um, there is another way, 85 euro. There is a man, he come and he unlock the door. And I thought, 85 euros? But then I thought, we could sleep in the tent. That'll be all right, two weeks without a car. It'll be good for us. Only to realize the sleeping bags are inside the car. Okay, 85 euros. Don't worry, kids. You're not going to have any ice creams this holiday. 85 euros shows my urgency to get into the car, doesn't it? The the urgency with which I went up to reception shows my heart to retrieve what was lost. And in fact, the harder it was to get into the car, the more urgent I became to get into the car. Each twist, each turn revealed to me how much I prized getting into the car. And I can tell you, we didn't lock the car again that holiday. You see, there's a story here, and it's a farmer, a farmer with a reasonable size to his flock, a hundred sheep, but he discovers one is missing. He's ready to leave the 99 in order to search for the one that is lost. And he searches with urgency. 
Why urgency? Because the urgency shows the value that the sheep has to him. The urgency shows the importance of the one he's searching for. So what does this man value? Well, he values the sheep. Look at the second story. Verses 8 to 10. This time we have a lady. Verse 8. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Look at the urgency. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Now, I'd say we're urgent as people. We're urgent over those things we value the most. If you were on holiday for us, it's called Wi-Fi. Our kids nearly every day. Wi-Fi. Urgency. Now, no one needed to instruct me to urgently try every door of the car before I walked up to reception. No one needed to urge me to consider if there's a way we could break in without causing permanent damage. No one needed to tell me that, oh, if only I'd thought that the car would lock itself. I was urgent to get my keys back. There's no great pause in these stories as the shepherd strategizes over the different options to protect the 99 and go after the lost sheep. He just goes. There's no pause to watch the 10 best ways to find lost coins on YouTube. These people are urgent because they value the item they're looking for. And come back in two weeks' time. Look at the urgency of the father looking for the lost son. So what are you urgent about? What what am I urgent about? What's important to you? And go back to that scene in in verses 1 and 2. The two sides of the road. The Pharisees, the tax collectors. Who are urgent? And where are you? The Pharisees are, are, are urgent about showing their own righteousness. Do you see why Jesus told this parable? He's showing his urgency. His father is urgent for lost people to be saved. People who don't know Jesus. People that don't know Jesus are the sheep in this story. And God the Father is the shepherd. He sends his son Jesus to seek and to save them. People who don't know Jesus are the coin. God the Father is the woman who sweeps the house urgent to find them. And as that mirror is held up to those two groups, it causes us to ask the question, what are we urgent about? There will be those, of course, that think that they would love to be found by Jesus, but they're too sinful to be found. Well, we should feel that. That means you understand it. But look again at the urgency. You see, Jesus has come to seek people that know they're sinful. 
He's come to search for people that see their sin, that know their need. And look, it's the lost that are found. Look at his heart for the lost. Look at his activity in in urgently searching. Now, does that look anything like your heart? Does it look anything like my heart? Does it look anything like your activity? I've been really struck by this. As as that mirror is turned towards me, I've been really struck as I've looked at these stories this week. And I'm aware there's a gap in my life. You see, I'd imagine I'm not the only person in the room that, that sees that there's a gap. I know that God values the lost. I can see Jesus. I I can see how he uses these parables to showcase God's great love for the lost. But when I measure myself, when that mirror shines in my face, I see that there's a gap. Now, another thing I did on holiday once we got the car unlocked and managed to unload everything is I had the privilege of riding one of the stages of the Tour de France. Now, I chose the shortest stage. I chose the nearest stage. And I was dead keen to measure myself against the pros. And I was pretty confident. I'm ashamed to say. Chris Froome did that stage in 33 minutes. Gareth Edwards, one hour 15. (laughs) And we were going for it. Okay, we had a 14-year-old girl with us. But we were absolutely going for it. We had people to help us. He had no one to help him. He was doing it on his own. That last climb was an absolute lung buster. And he cruised around as if it was a molehill. Now, I saw that big gap, the pros, little old me. And the same sort of thing happens in this parable, doesn't it? So what does loving the lost look like? Look at verse 5. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. The shepherd has searched for the lost sheep. He's risked leaving the others in the pursuit of the lost sheep. He's valued the lost sheep highly. He's found the lost sheep. And he joyfully puts it on his shoulders. Picture Jesus putting you on his shoulders and rejoicing that he's found you. And then consider what else went on Jesus' shoulders. You see, before there was a lamb, there was a crossbeam. Before there was a party, there were nails. There was a determined search of the house before the celebration. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit value the lost so much. And the measure of that is the cross of Christ. Now, if you don't know Jesus and you fear you're not worth the trouble, look at the cross. It's the measure of how much you're loved. If you do know Jesus, if you've been found by him, well, put the value of the cross in whatever way you can on display. And of course, there's going to be a gap. What are you willing to pray What are you willing to give? How can you move out of your comfort zone and towards people? Of course, there's going to be a gap. 
But just before we close, I, I want to think how that gap can be narrowed. And I think the answer is found in, in that word, joy. I don't know if you saw it when Darren read it. Through these parables, Jesus asks this final question, you see. Where is your joy? Where is your joy? It's all a bit over the top, isn't it? Throwing a party because a sheep has been found, it's a little bit over the top. Does he really have to invite his friends and neighbours around? It's just not very British, is it? It's meant to be over the top. <laughs> Look at the evidence. Look at verse 5 again. When he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, Rejoice with me, or rather, have joy with me. I've found my lost sheep. We lost Josh once when we were walking in the Lake District. That won't surprise some of you. We went all the way around one side of the mountain. Josh had the bright idea on his own to go the other side of the mountain and I was the father who was negligent that said yes. And we said, race you to the top. And he never showed up. We split up to look for him. And of course, I started rehearsing the lines. Right, son, why didn't you wait for us at the top? You don't have a map. Why are you going off like that? Yet as the minutes ticked by, as, as I foresaw night time coming, because it was Christmas time, and us scouring the hill until the early hours of the morning, a desperation rose, and my plea changed. Father... I just want him back. I stopped caring who was right and who was wrong. I just wanted to see that he was okay. I wanted my son back. And we found him. And we knew joy. The farmer is expressing his delight in finding the lost sheep. That's why there's an abundant party. He calls his friends. He calls his neighbors. He orders them to share his joy. Rejoice with me. Share joy with me. I found my lost sheep. And Jesus follows it with the application for us. And I really want us to see this. In the same way, in a lavish party, there will be much joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 people who do not need to repent. And who are these 99? Look back at the two sides in verses 1 and 2. We have sinners and tax collectors gathering around to hear Jesus explaining the message of the gospel. We have Pharisees and, and teachers of the law muttering about how unrighteous and filthy these sinners are. And how do you tell which side of the road you're on there? Well, here is what I think. Jesus is challenging us by. What gets you excited? What causes joy to rise in your heart? Does your heart skip at the thought that someone will hear the gospel who's never heard it before? And look at the same pattern in the account of the lost coin. Verse 9, she finds the coin and invites her friends. 
And then look at verse 10. Jesus says there is rejoicing, joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And it's like an invitation. It's an invitation for you and I to enter a party in heaven every time a sinner is saved. I don't know what kind of party you'd most want to go to. But I can tell you a party in the presence of God and his angels is bound to be better than any little party we could go to on this earth. Do you see the invitation? You and I are invited to join in that joy. Now, he's not saying there's a bouncer on the door and unless you get excited, I'm not letting you in. No, instead he's saying, whatever joy you know in the earth, this is better. And it doesn't matter what age you are, kids. It doesn't matter if you're in fusion. doesn't matter if you're in story crash. doesn't matter if you're in JF. You can get excited about your friends hearing about Jesus. So have you been found? Has there been a party over you? Notice how Jesus expresses this. There will be rejoicing over one sinner who repents. Have you, are you a sinner who has repented? Are you more like the Pharisee or more like the shepherd? And where's your rejoicing? And how do you change that? It's easy for me to say there's that gap. It's easy for me to explain about the joy. But how does that change? I suspect that many of us feel somewhat in the middle. If there's two sides of the road, Gareth, then uh, Pharisees on one side, tax collectors on the other. Oh, I'd put myself in the middle of the road. I certainly have seen that in my own heart. Now, now we've got a club coming up tomorrow, Fusion Club. How much joy has there been in my heart at the thought of kids hearing the gospel that have never heard it before? Well, not enough. Where can I get help? Well, I need to start picturing the two sides of that road. I need to see that I stand and stick with the Pharisees and tax collectors, urgent, urgent to hear the life-giving words of the Lord Jesus. And then I need to look at my value system. What do I value? Often I value my own comfort. It's much easier to stay at home reading books than it is to come out and talk to kids. What does God value? Well, he values the lost. And then I need to look at my joy. There is a certain joy in self-protection, but it doesn't last very long. No, the real joy is in that party over one sinner who repents. How do I find joy? Well, I accept the invitation that that, that is where real life is. People accepting the Lord Jesus is where real life is. So let me just finish by being really practical. You see, I I find this every year that comes around with the men's curry. I like to think someone else will do the invitation for all of my friends. Oh, I'd love to be surrounded by all my friends at that men's curry event. Wouldn't that just be brilliant? We could sit there 
they could hear about Jesus. Maybe they'd respond to it. Maybe they'd join this church. We could, we could have joy together in them finding Jesus. Well, it's me that's most likely to invite them. I mean, it would be lovely to buddy up with someone else. But unless I start, who else is going to invite them? It's the Fusion Link service next week. Wouldn't it be great if all of my friends or, or all of your friends come to that? Well, who's going to invite them? There would be great joy if they found Jesus. But how do we ever get there if we don't invite people? In my pocket here, I've got those Ask 3-1 questions. I've put them by the door of our house. And will you pray with me that I will be so struck by being with the Pharisees and tax collectors that I would be so struck at the value that the Father puts on finding the lost, that I'd be so struck that real joy is in people finding Jesus, that I would ask everyone that comes to the door, even the postman, Nigel, actually he knows Jesus, the Amazon delivery man gives me an excuse to order some parcels, that I would ask everyone that comes to the door that question, and invite them to come to church. Now, you've got your own ministries that you're involved in, but how can you use them so that more people can know this great joy? And would you pray for that? Would you pray that five kids this year would come to know Jesus in YPF? Let's ask God to give us a clear sense of which side we're on. Let's ask God to give us a clear knowledge of the value system that he puts on the lost and would you and me ask God for a greater joy in seeing the lost saved let's pray father thank you so much that you love in a different way to us father please help us to see where we were if we know you and to identify with those people that are lost and don't know their right from their left. And Father, help us to see the value that you put on the lost and that value expressed in the cross of Christ. And Father, please, would we not end there because that would be guilt. But instead, Father, would we end with joy the joy that you have united our hearts with you, uh, the joy that you long to do that with many others. And please, Father, send us out, uh, not in our power, but in yours. Would we do something because of these two great stories, we pray. Amen.